You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We are continuing in our sermon series in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, sixth book of the Bible. And today what we really want to be thinking about are two key themes, two key big ideas that come out in Joshua 2. There's more than two, but I will spare you the, uh, <laughs> the length of time. But I really want us to take home today. First thing is don't think, don't think you are beyond God's love and mercy. Don't think that you are beyond God's love and mercy. The offer to live in the love of God is for everyone. We see that in Joshua 2 today. The second thing we see in Joshua 2 is whilst the love of God is for everyone, don't let your thoughts deceive you. To know the love of God is to see it change you. To also know the love of God is to see it change you. We're going to explore those two key themes in Joshua 2 today. Now, just to give us a little bit more context again, as we are still being introduced to this book of the Bible, um, the book of Joshua is the sixth book in the line of the first six books in the, in the story of God's people. Uh, so you just have to go, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, Joshua, you're there. Uh, Pre-Joshua leading up is the story of God's people. We go, um, we have basically God's leadership. It is via God's leaders that we start to see God call His people. There's Adam and Eve, you know, that's where everything starts. Then chapter three, Everything falls apart. So we have the fall. And, but then there's this fresh start moment. God's plan continues as we still engage in the book of Genesis. And we meet a really key figure in the story of God's people who is Abraham. God makes some pretty significant promises to Abraham early on in the start of the life of God's people. Three significant promises. They are family. They are blessing. And they are, it is land. And then we begin to see how these promises work themselves out over these first few books of the Bible and then continuing on. Family, pretty early on, we go, check. All right, God's people begin to grow because the God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And pretty pretty soon, all of them are just like, there's an abundance of them now in Egypt. And so there's this, so we see they're in Egypt, but then not everything goes well in Egypt. We sort of enter into the book of Exodus and then there's this oppression on God's people. It's not all God's people in this time. By this stage, there's been some defectors. There's been some those that aren't, you know, favourable towards God's rule and His will. And now there's oppression on God's people. But we see still God's promise of blessing because there's still protection. There's still provision. There's still God's personal care on His people. And that's why we call the book of Exodus, Exodus, isn't it? Because God's people are liberated out of Egypt, out of of certain death, a physical liberation from this external oppression. That book of Exodus we saw in the, not that long ago, that it's almost, it is, it it helps us to think about the spiritual um, liberation that God gives us in Christ today that He pulls us out of sin. He pulls us out of the oppression of sin. He saves us in that way. And so, so far we've seen in the story, there's been Exodus and then there's Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Leviticus and Numbers. And that's like three whole books just dedicated to God's people figuring out, well, what is life like now under God? How do we live? How do we honour God? He has 
rescued us. He's been amazingly loving to us. He's given us so much despite our unfaithfulness. How do we live in in honouring Him? And they worked that out over three books. And and we see again blessing because there's protection, there's provision, uh, there's ongoing personal care. And then we get to book of Joshua, don't we? Book of Joshua, because what is still the promise to come? Land. Land. Where are they going into? Well, the book of Joshua is them going into the promised land. Oh, okay, I'll make a connection now. Abraham, promised land. There we go. We're figuring all this out. And that is all under God's leadership. And Joshua is this fascinating book. You know, it's almost this like flipped upside down Exodus. It's like going in with a parting of the, parting of the Jordan to go in. Anyway, we're going to get to that. I'm getting too excited. But Joshua, it's awesome. And it's almost a picture of what does it look like when God's people are getting it right under God's leadership? Because the last few books has been all about what goes wrong. But Joshua, it started, last week we read how the people stood up and they're just like, look, we're in. And we're going to commit to this way of living. And I mean, we kind of read that with a little bit of like, oh yeah, you're going to commit like you did to Moses. But they actually do. They actually do. You get to the end of the book of Joshua, spoiler alert, and the little sign off from the narrator is, it's like, and this is what happens when they obey God. Goes, goes really well. So that's sort of the context leading up to Joshua under God's provided leadership. I mean, after Joshua, it all falls apart. People don't want leaders anymore and we see what happens. And then, then they choose their own leaders and we see what happens. And then their leaders fall and we see what happens. And then the Old Testament is this constant reminder that you need God's appointed leadership. You need God's rescue. You need God's saving. Don't take your life into your own hands. We need Jesus. Anyway, that's big picture, um, you know, You don't have to go to theological college now. Good on you. Anyway, Joshua 2, this is where we are. We are in Joshua 2, the second chapter, and this is as they are preparing to go into the promised land. They're getting ready to move in. And today is really, really cool. So we saw in our story what's happening at the moment. The story starts with Joshua. He's sending in some scouts or some spies to just suss out the lay of the land. Like what's ahead of us as we are about to go in and take up this thing that God has promised to us. Now, some people might say, it's just like, oh, why is Joshua doing this? Why is he like taking it upon himself to like, you know, send in spies? Surely he can just like lay back and it all just happens. And it's like, not really. Like that's not how it works. Like Joshua is modelling to us as God's great appointed leadership, partnership in God's plans. It's just like God makes promises, but as His people, we still partner with Him and live those plans out. I think it's really helpful. Uh, C.S. Lewis has used this sort of analogy in other areas of life, but it's kind of like a dance. As, as people live under the leadership of God, there is this movement and there's this flow but, and there's God in the lead, but we are still moving with Him and we sense the way that He guides and we step and we sense the other way that He guides and we step and we sort of move as we go. Joshua in his faithfulness as being a, a leader to God's people just goes, well, what is the next logical step? Well, we've got to figure out where we're going. We've got to just take some steps and God will correct and guide us as we go. So the spies go in. The spies, they slide into the city and they pick some, what you might think is quite suspect 
accommodation, right? When the spies go into the city, these couple of foreigner dudes, they've been in the wilderness for quite some time. And where do they go? Well, they go to the prostitute's house. Now, don't think like, oh, come on guys. Like you had one job and that's where you go. Like that's, I don't think that's what's going on. I think Joshua is a tactical dude and he's picked tactical guys to go and scout the city. These guys aren't going in to have a good time. I think these spies are going in. It's just like, well, if there's foreigners that are going into a city, where's the place that people might expect a foreigner to like firstly go? And where is there going to be a place where there's going to be some sort of unsuspecting, no questions asked accommodation? All right. So the spies go in to Rahab's house. And then we meet Rahab. We meet Rahab. We're going to be spending a lot of time thinking about Rahab. Who is Rahab? Well, Rahab, is she's quite well known in the city of Jericho, quite well known. Uh, she's so well known uh, that the king knows about Rahab. She's so well known that the spies can quickly find some accommodation. Now, I don't know what that conversation looked like, but these spies have probably gone in and be like, so you guys know where we can stay the night? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And there was obviously someone on the street that's been like, you got to go to Rahab's place. And so we meet Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab is a prostitute in the city of Jericho in the land of Canaan. That is not a resume that gets you many jobs if you post it on LinkedIn. Okay? What do we, what do we know about Rahab's life? Needless to say, Rahab hasn't chosen her life. No one sits in the year nine careers counsellor office and goes, you know what I would like to do with the rest of my life? No one makes that decision. Rahab is someone that lives a life of shame. She's someone that surely would know a life of abuse, loneliness and desperation. She's doing whatever she has to do to survive. This is Rahab. She's there and she's also with her family. She's got mother, a mother and a father there. She's got brothers and sisters. Even from Canaanite standards. Now, of course, the Canaanites, they're not good friends with like God's people. Like they're the people that have like on the list of their religious activities, child sacrifice. Okay. Now, if you haven't figured that out, that's not a good thing. That's not something that God approves of either. So she lives in Canaan, and if, if, just, if that wasn't bad enough, she has a job in Canaan, in Jericho, that is seen as impure, unholy, unlovable, undesirable, and she probably has no meaningful relationship. This is Rahab. Rahab's life, Rahab as a person, is the antithesis of what God has previously outlined in the last three books of the Bible as to how you should be living in view of Him. Okay? God would hold up, he, he could, you could very easily hold up Rahab and be like, don't do that. Like, don't, like that, that, not the example. Like if you want to get a good idea of who is Rahab, just think of the person least likely you'd ever associate to be a godly person. That's Rahab. What is Rahab's experience of life? 
Well, have you personally, have you ever felt like you've done things or thought things or not done things, which has meant that God would never accept you? That's Rahab's every hour, every minute of her life. But now at this point in Rahab's life, she finds herself in this very unique position of power, doesn't she? Two foreigners come to her home, finding some form of lodging, seeking to fly underneath the Rahab, underneath the Rahab radar, fly underneath Rahab's radar, fly underneath the King Jericho King's radar. They're two spies from Israel and there's men now knocking at the door. Soldiers likely sent from the king of Jericho because word has spread. Someone has seen what's going on. It's just like, I recognise those dudes. I see that dress. What are they doing? Like that's, they're Israelites. What are they doing here? Word travels quickly to the king. They already heard what's going on with the Israelites. Already heard what happened to Pharaoh in Egypt. You know, news spreads fast. I mean, the Twitter has lit up you know, back in the ancient Near East. It's just like, have you heard about the plagues? It's just you hear about what happened to Pharaoh's son? It's just like, you hear about how God's providing for these guys in the wilderness? You hear about the crossing of the Red Sea? It's just like, these guys have a God who's fighting on their behalf. And so the king of Jericho and the rest of them are shaking in their little boots. And now Rahab has a knock at the door and there's two spies from Israel up on her roof and they're saying, hey, Rahab, we hear that uh, you have the Israelite spies in your house. What is, what is Rahab to do right now? Powerful position for Rahab, isn't it? Powerful powerful position. She's got two options. She, she's, got a, she's got a moment to side with the powers of Jericho, give up the spies. Whoa, tantalizing. Give them up, find favor with the king of Jericho and the king of this land. I'll, I've got a bargaining chip here, don't I? <laughs> Do I know where the spies are? <laughs> maybe I could, maybe, maybe I, could, I could get something out of this. The king would look on me favorably. This, I might even receive a, a reward. <laughs> they came to me. The Canaanite gods are smiling upon me this day. That's her first choice, isn't it? Find a bit of relief from the current work that she has to, indo- that she has to do. Or she has another choice, doesn't she, Rahab? She has another choice. Rather than side with Jericho and give up the spies, Rahab, and this is what she does, She tests her hope in this God who she's heard about and she protects the spies. She seeks favour. Maybe this God that I've heard about, the one whom the Jericho royalty seem to be so afraid of, maybe there's a chance with him. I mean, even in this moment, you get another sense of Rahab's desperation. 
to be at the bottom of the pits of Canaan so bad that there's, a, there's hope for these people knocking on the city's door. Now, the order of events is not clear in what's in sort of how this has sort of been arranged. Commentators differ on what's happened first and which conversations have happened when, but that doesn't really matter because Rahab's actions and her heart is clear. Rahab makes her appeal to God based on what she's heard of God. She longs to be able to put her future hope with Him. She demonstrates a trust and a confidence and a faith and a belief that a future with this God is going to be better than a future in Jericho. Rahab, in this moment, as these soldiers knock on her door, has an appeal and a faith in God's mercy. And her choice is to send those other men away. Now, side note here, this is something that will probably come up in your gospel communities this week as you continue to work this out. This is something that often comes up when people read through this account. And there's always the question of Rahab's lying, right? Oh, but Rahab lied here. What's going on with that? Rahab's lying to the men of Jericho. She shouldn't have lied. We're not supposed to lie. What's going on with Rahab? She's lying. Are we allowed to lie? Sorry, I don't, if someone in your GC has a voice like that, I'm not trying to pay anyone out. Um, Yes, we can notice that and we can see that obviously Rahab is sort of like siding with God and to do that, she is actually deceptive to the people knocking on her door. She hasn't spoken the, whole, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. She's like, I don't know where they are. They, they, they ran away, which isn't true, right? But before we jump down into like a secondary question on like, oh, do we lie or don't we lie? We actually got to go, well, what is this account actually teaching us in the Bible primarily? Is this account to teach us about like morality in speaking truth? Is that what's going on? Is this why God has recorded for us in human history? No, (laughs) that's not the primary purpose of this text. And I think there's some Psalms and some little phrases that we pick up in the gospels that kind of help us discern this. Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 103, the Lord has mercy on those who fear Him. Psalm 147, the Lord is pleased with those who fear Him, who hope in Him and His unfailing love. Or you go to the gospel according to Luke, Luke 1, His mercy, God's mercy extends to all who fear Him. He has performed mighty deeds. So what does that tell us about this section with Rahab? I don't think we should run away and try to figure out the exact ins and outs and ethics of lying in this moment. I don't think Rahab's Behaviour is recorded as a, as a model for moral behaviour, but an indicator of her growing allegiance to this God who she's just heard about. It's intended to teach us about God's mercy to all who respond to Him in repentance and faith. 
Repentance, it's a rethinking and a reorganizing of your thoughts and your desires and your willing and your priorities and your allegiances. Her faith, her trust in this God. You might look at Rahab lying to these people, these messengers, and be like, well, you can look at her external actions and be like, well, where's her adhesion to the rules? But for Rahab, like right now for Rahab, where is she on her journey with God? She's like right at the beginning, right at the investigating, like, can I trust this God? Like, who is this God? And she's just first working out her her adoration, not based on what is a grey moment, but just based on the black and white of like, I stand with God or I stand with Jericho. And she's standing with God at huge risk to herself. So be careful in your GCs this week. Rahab in this moment is not for us to go, oh, why did she lie? It's a moment for us to see that she's a woman that's putting her money where her mouth is and just to watch her lean on God's mercy, shown in this hopeful, faithful action. And just to engage that question on misdirection and misinformation about Rahab, like what standard are you asking Rahab to live by? as you sort of make your own moral judgments on her. Like, would it be reasonable? Like if we're really a church, it's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Like what sort of witness would it be to us is be like, well, actually, no, you can't fully know God until you fully clean up your life and do everything according to the book. Is that the good news of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ? Clean up your act and if you're good enough, he will accept you. Get everything right and then when you're all sorted, then you can come into the family. No. Is that, is that, the, is that the good news? Is that, is that how we started as followers of Jesus? <laughs> it's not how I started. Jesus, is, he comes and he offers mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's not clean yourself up, make yourself right and then you're in. It's just like, I am so loving and so merciful and so good and I bring you in and I accept you and all of the ways that you have screwed up and will screw up, I pay for that on the cross. The debt that you owe, I'll pay it off. The punishment that was meant to be coming to you, I'll take it on to me. So it's, we don't, and it's so liberating. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to be like, oh, well, do, do like the, the accounting audit of like every single moral decision we've ever made in the, in the heat of the moment. It's like, this is a moment where it's just like, I either die or I die. And she's like, I'm siding with God. And that's awesome. It's beautiful. Anyway, all of that to say, I just want to stick up for Rahab in this moment and just put it out there and be like, let's be a people who just take the log out of our own eye before we start to look at the speck. And... If that's not what if that's not is what if that is not what is going on right now, you know, a moral lesson on lying, what is going on? Hope is always within reach. No one is past redemption. Regardless of the roads you have roamed, the wrongs you've done. If you trust and turn to the Lord, his mercy is there to be won.
You see, it's the least of these. A Canaanite woman, a prostitute. She, she has ears and eyes to see that God is a God of mercy and love and he sticks up for his people. And she has the confidence and courage to say, yep, I need saving. And she is willing to do whatever she can to reach out her life right now and orientate it all towards this God. And do you know what? The beauty of this story is God accepts that. God has mercy on her. This will come up in a few weeks' time, but there'll be the opposite to this that'll happen. Someone won't give over themselves. His name's Achan. He betrays God. He betrays God's people. And he's everything that he should be in terms of what he should be, but he gets caught out in his adultery as opposed to admitting it. And we'll find out what happens to him. But Rahab, Rahab's a story here where we can be reminded, don't think that you are beyond God's love and mercy. Don't think that there's anything that you can do that will mean that you cannot be included into the family of God. The offer to live in the love of God is for everyone. Who is the person you think of right now that you would least expect to have their Bible open and a coffee before them with their pen, taking notes, writing their prayer to live faithfully for their day. Who do you least expect to ever see that happen in their life? It can happen in their life. It can happen in their life. Joshua 2 teaches there's no barrier to those that can have a relationship with God. No matter where you've been or what you've done, if you turn to God with trust and belief, His mercy is waiting for you. His mercy is waiting for you. The primary teaching in this account of Joshua 2 is that God is awesome. He's amazing. He's loving. He's forgiving, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he's taking into his family now Gentiles, those that aren't even a part of the bloodline. I will even take the Canaanite prostitute because she fears me and longs to be with me and she's admitting her wrongs. It's awesome. But that's not all God wants to teach us. That's not all God wants to teach us. You see, Rahab, she pops up again later in the Bible. She's got some pretty good teaching cred with her actions that she models to us today. There's at least one other lesson that God has us through this wonderful woman of faith. The prostitute Rahab is a genuine model of what faith looks like. Faith in action. Faith in action. The second lesson from Joshua 2 is that whilst the love of God, it extends to all, don't just think you're in it. Don't let your thoughts deceive you. To live in the love of God is to show it. Now, this is where we lean into some of the more difficult teachings that we encounter today. See, Rahab has these spies hidden on her roof. 
They could have stayed there. That could have been it. A few words, a nice thoughtful gesture from Rahab. And, you know, like, oh yeah, Rahab's pretty good. She didn't give us up. You know, or she, or to, Rahab, she let us stay the night. Isn't that nice? But there's more here that God wants to do with Rahab. Soldiers, they come to her home, don't they? And it's from this that Rahab's faith or trust or appeal to God is demonstrated in an action, isn't it? It's more than just an intellectual assent or a nice conversation or a few words. God, in this story, gives Rahab the opportunity to express her hope in him. We see that the king of Jericho sends these, these soldiers. God sends these soldiers because he's got something to teach the rest of us. He sends these soldiers to Rahab's house and she has power in this moment to what? Show her allegiance, show her allegiance. She has to make the choice as to who she will trust to rule her future. Now, what is this moment like for the spies? Hiding under the flax? under the grass on the roof, hear the knock on the door, hear the conversation that's going on. Oh, I hear that uh, you've got some uh, Israelite man, just, just, where are they? There's, I'm sure, a five-second pause where they're just pooping their pants. So it's like Rahab has been nice so far, but what's she going to do now? And then she says, yeah, they're not here. Yeah, they've, they've gone. These two spies, they're probably lying. I'm like, did you hear what she just, What? What's going on here? Like what? God's looking after us through this woman and what's, what's happening? This is amazing. Rahab is wonderfully, amazingly faithful in this moment. And this is such an important example to the rest of the world, what she does for God by protecting the spies in this moment. It becomes actually a New Testament standard for what genuine trust in God should look like. How a genuine person who longs to be a follower of Jesus will behave. And it comes up in James, it comes up in Hebrews, and that's on top of her, her getting a mention in the family tree of Jesus. See, Rahab's faith, belief, and trust is not simply an intellectual assent. It changes everything about the way she behaves. God gives her a moment to show it with these people that visit her house. And God gives us moments every single day to also live this out too. God will give us opportunities to show who we trust when it becomes when it comes to our future, doesn't he? Now, in our cultural moment, it's not very likely that it's going to be people knocking at the door asking to give our allegiance to either the king of the land or the king of the universe. In some countries it is, worth noting. But it can just be in other simpler physical actions. Like how we choose to commit to the pe- God's people, the church, or how we choose to protect and p- participate in God's plan. How we even begin our journey of faith in obedience to J- Christ in baptism. It can be in everyday choices that we get these knocks at the door of who we will choose, in the choices of how you spend your time. Does it go God's way or does it go another way? 
It can be in the choices of how you spend your money. Does it go God's way or does it go another way? It can be in the choices of how you choose to love God by loving others and your enemies. Does it go God's way or does it go another way? It can be in how you choose to spend your private moments alone with the door closed. Does it go God's way or does it go another way? Can come down to how you choose to prioritise anything in this life. Does it go God's way? Or does it go another way? It even comes down to how you engage in your thoughts. Do they go God's way or do they go another way? You have the capacity to control your thoughts. You have the choice to choose what you engage in in the quiet, unseen place of your mind. The Bible even gives us instructions in this. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you do that? A follower of Jesus will seek that. Rahab, before these people knocking at her door, God gives her the opportunity to prove to him and to herself her fidelity. And Rahab is someone who has heard what God has done. She's heard the story of salvation. Rahab is someone and she wants in. She wants to get in on that salvation. She wants to get in on that hope. She wants to be a part of that power. She wants to know that love. And because she has a genuine confidence that God is better, she's willing to live from that conviction. And the first step for her is to protect and partner in what God is doing. To join in on God's plan ahead of hers. Faith worked out in action. It's a re- in this case, a reactive moment. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the spies aren't here. But Rahab, not just reactive either, it's proactive. Our faith, not just reactive either, it can be proactive. Rahab's faith is also modelled in a proactive lifestyle change, isn't it? Lifestyle change. Did you notice what happened at the end of our reading? She hangs the scarlet cord in her window. And what do the spies say to her? She's like, don't leave the house. Don't leave the house. Because if you do, if you're outside of the house, you can't be safe. You can't be safe. Now, her entire life now is in view of this scarlet cord, guiding and changing her actions. Can't leave the house is a significant change for someone like Rahab in her line of work. Can't go out in the streets and holler. Can't get dressed up to go out to bring business in. And this is also for the whole household she's seeking to protect, isn't it? Mega changes. I'm sure there's a point at Rahab, she's pleading with her mom and her dad and her brothers and sisters, sisters, somewhat irrational to them, I'm sure, at some point. She's like saying, don't leave the house. It's not COVID, it's a different type of isolation. We really will die. It's the judgment of God coming in. We're safe if we're in here. Yes, we have to make some changes, but right now, this is what we need to do. 
Rahab looked at that scarlet cord every day and she found resolve. She believed that that little bit of red woven thread was going to save her based on the promise of these messengers. She trusted in the message of these spies. She's like, let this thing be before you and know that if you trust in God and do as you've asked in this moment, you will be secure when the judgment of God comes as led by Joshua. Trust in that little red cord. Does that sound silly to you? Sounds silly. Live your life in view of this like bit of red rope hanging out of your window. Like that's the thing that's going to save me. Might sound silly, but God did look after her, didn't he? Her putting her trust in that little red cord. She was okay. She was so okay that she married into the people of Israel. So okay that she became a part of the family tree of Jesus So okay that we go, that wasn't silly at all. And do you know what? That's what the Christian does every single day. Isn't it? Except we don't look at a cord that's dyed scarlet. We look at a cross where Jesus bled. And we hear the message of those that have gone before us and just say, look, if you want to be safe from the judgment of God, as when Jesus comes in to judge the living and the dead, just keep looking to the cross where God has promised that if you believe in the Lord Jesus and confess your sin and appeal to Him, you will be okay. Live your life in view of that. You'll be fine. Maybe that sounds silly. But if you do, God promises that that's not silly at all. You'll be okay. That you too can find yourself in the family tree of Jesus. That you too will be protected from the judgment to come as led by Jesus. Is that good news? Safe in the promises of God. And while we trust and while we wait, we just, we change our lifestyle, don't we? We make some significant changes. Yes, maybe it affects the the work that we might have. Maybe it means we plead with others for something that sounds a little bit irrational. But we do that in the trust that Jesus is King and that He will keep us safe and we throw ourselves upon His mercy because we know that life with him under his plan is better than life under the king of Jericho and in this place that we call home. So a new life and a new confidence in God, a new joy means that new habits need to be adopted. There will be evidence in someone's life when they are in a relationship with God. Now, there's much to say on there's much to say on what faith lived out, worked out looks like.
But I would appeal to you that if you are someone that is, is not reorientating your life, so it looks as if you are someone that is trusting in the scarlet cord or is trusting in the cross or is trusting in, to the lordship and obedience and commands of Christ, I would plead with you to reconsider, to not just think that you're okay based on a thought or an intellectual assent that I believe this, but actually let the Holy Spirit convict you and make a change so that you are genuinely rethinking your life so that it aligns with what Jesus and God says is good in His Word. I make that plea to you because it is one of the most dangerous places to be spiritually if you think you are safe within the arms of God, but you are not actually. There are false gospels and there are false messages that are put out by churches and Christians today that would say, if you simply just think about this thing and believe this thing, the misrepresentation of the word believe is ruining people. They think that if they just can tack on a little bit of Jesus and just have an agreeance with something without it actually affecting anything, that then they'll be okay. That's so dangerous. There's passages where Jesus will say, where it says that you believe that God is one. Great. Even the demons believe that and shut up. There's passages that say there's some people that will get before Jesus Christ on the other side of this life and he will say to them, it's like, depart from me. I never knew you. Don't lie to yourself. Don't take the perks of feeling like you're safe in God's hand without ever living out the works. Don't have a false confidence in your eternal inheritance. Don't live in a lie that you're creating for yourself. Don't try to convince yourself you're on the right path, but actually be on the highway to hell. And pursue Jesus because if you don't, you never actually will ever experience the fullness of joy that is being in his presence. You'll never fully know the peace that transcends understanding in midst of anxiety at the end of a wrestling prayer. You'll never know the blessing that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. If God is putting on your heart right now, man, I've got some things that I actually need to rethink when it comes to understanding what it means to be a Christian. Please pursue that. I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't ask you today, are you someone that says you care about what God has to say in how you should live? But I'm going on. As I close, I just want to give a moment of reassurance. A moment of reassurance. Now, we've all screwed up. We've all dropped the ball. We've all given in to that knock on the door and sold God out. We've all 
cheated on God in some way or another and not had the courage to stand up when we should have. We've all done that, haven't we? I know I have. The question isn't have you or haven't you? We all have. The question is, have you let the Holy Spirit allow you to be deeply concerned when you have? And are you willing to return to God? Because if you are sorrowful, let's go back to point number one of Joshua, where we started. God is more merciful than you could ever imagine. He will take you back and he will take you in and he will give you a fresh start. And no, his mercy and forgiveness is not a license for self-fulfillment. No, we, don't, we aren't to cheat on God to be forgiven to then run away with another lover. That's not how it works. We don't presume to live on the, his generous character, but we can trust in his amazing grace. So don't think you're beyond God's love and mercy this day. Don't think you belong his love and mercy. I'm going to close very simply with a prayer. And I'm just going to leave a few points for you just to respond in the quiet place of your own heart as to where you are at today in what we've thought about. I recognize that I've run away with Joshua 2 a little bit too much, but I really care about your soul. I really care. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.